Welcome to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Listen and grow as Dell questions the status quo, encourages you to think differently, and empowers you to make a better life. Get ready as Dell challenges core beliefs, seeks the truth, and reveals the roadmap to the lifestyle you really want. And now your host, multi-millionaire, national award-winning investor, CEO and founder of Lifestyles Unlimited, Del Wamsley. Welcome to the Del Wamsley Radio Show, where the hype ends and the help begins. I'm your host, Del Wamsley, and as always, we're working on your financial freedom. Today, my friends, is an interesting show. It is one of the shows where we go to the mailbag, but there's also a bunch of news going on right now that's just all over the place. And I'm going to get to the stuff that I set aside from the mailbag first. And then I'll come back to the news because the news isn't going anywhere. So we'll we'll work our way back into that. But let's start out with the first article that someone sent me. I thought it was rather interesting. Uh, the article is titled something along the lines of bad times might be good times in disguise. And what the uh, author is indicating here is that what he has found in his life is that when times are good, he doesn't have the motivation to move forward and take on new challenges and to grow. And that when times are bad, he finds himself more motivated to take on challenges and to work through problems and to get it done. And he goes on and on about this and is very detailed about what he's gone through and why it was important to him that, you know, he would uh, run into problems. The problems would stimulate him to do something. But then if things were okay, he would just walk away from it, getting it done. And that's procrastination, I believe, is the term for that. Well, this has been identified, this particular problem has been identified for many, many, many years. I read about it in a book called Unlimited Power by Tony Robbins. And he talked about this concept that no one will make any changes in their life because we have homeostasis. We want to stay right where we're at. We want it to be as easy as possible in our life. We don't want change. We don't like change. Um, And so no one will make changes in their life until the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. So just think through that a second here. I got to do something. This is bad. Many, many Lifestyles members come to us like just the second after something horrific in their life happens, and it makes them rethink their whole life. And I've known this for years. This is That was a stimulus for, you know, a good 75, 80% of the people that join up here. Something in their life just clicked. They go, you know what, this isn't working. Um, you know, I'm, on the, I'm in the rat race, as rich dad, poor dad would call it, or, you know, I'm on the wheel, as I would call it, or in the cubicle, as I would call it. And I'm not getting anywhere. All my retirement plans just aren't working out and my wealth plans aren't working out and I'm getting older and it's not getting easier. And, you know, everything I see and do proves to me that there's a need for a change. But maybe I'll look into it next year. You know, I got stuff going on right now. We've got the kids getting into school, you know, the car's broken down. We're looking at a job change. You know, you name it, there's a thousand of these reasons why something right now is just going to get in your way and you're not going to do it. So the pain to change is not large enough. The pain 
to change is not large enough to cover the pain of not wanting to change. And so you don't do anything, right? And it takes that aha moment, right? That, that aha moment is the time that something goes off and maybe it's just hearing the radio show for the first time going, you know what, that's interesting. He, he's, he's pushing the button of pain that I feel. Let's listen a few more times and then it's, you work your way into that situation where you realize that that pain is important. And as you get into this, you realize that one of the things that I've talked about my entire life is, and this is a Del Wamsley, a Delism, is that what gets in the way of a good life is an okay life. And then I've gone on in my life and in other people's successful lives to say what gets in the way of a great life is a good life. So <clears throat> if you're down there and you've got a terrible life, wanting to change is fine, right? That's fine. But if you've got an okay life, I mean, you get up every day, you got a good job, or at least, you know, a good job's a good job. It doesn't make you rich. And it doesn't give you any of the three motivating factors in life, which is money, power, or fame, uh, and or respect could be interchanged with fame. But you don't have any of them. And people strive to get those three things in their life. That's what they, that's what they want. So let me give you an example. Money can buy you a lot of things, right? It can buy you a lot of things. It doesn't make you famous. I had uh, a boss that sold his company for uh, $400 million and took back a million-dollar-a-year salary for two or three years as a consultant to the company. And I asked him one day, so why did you take back the, the consultant? I mean, you're still working. For a million bucks a year when you got $400 million? I mean, that's ridiculous. I mean, if you just put it to work at 10%, you're making 40 million bucks a year. Why? What, the, what does the million dollars mean to you? And he said, Dell, the difference is if I don't work and I'm walking up and down the street, I'm just another old guy. And now that I'm the age he was when I was talking to him about this, he was in his 60s, late 60s when I asked him this, I understand what he's saying. He said, well, why, why do you hang around Lifestyles Unlimited? Do you have plenty enough money to never have to do anything? But because I went to this flower store the other day and two people grabbed me at the flower store. Hey, you're Del Wamsley, right? So yeah. And that feels good. And to know you're touching people out there's lives, that feels good. And they're, and they're telling me, hey, man, it's great. I did this. I did that. You know, uh, one, one was talking to me about the successes they just had buying something. And the other person wanted to talk to me about the economy. And, you know, that's a good thing. So there is, you know, a little respect slash fame, whatever one you want to put on that. But then there's a thing called power. And power is something where, like, I own 27 companies. And actually, I keep saying 27. It's more than that. In fact, I was sitting with my CPA just yesterday, and we were getting ready to do the tax return uh, for the year, you know, whatever it is, April 10th or 11th or whatever it was I was sitting in there. And uh, I had so many companies, we lost a few. And we had to call up my CFO and said, hey, we're missing a few of these companies. Oh, yeah, okay. And you sent them over and so forth. And the same thing with me. I own a bunch of real estate that I, I forgot to put in all the income and expenses from some of the real estate that I owned because I owned so much of it I didn't even get it all corralled quick enough and correctly type thing. And so when you look at that situation, 
to be able to have so many people's lives in your hands, jobs, and places for people to live and employment of people's life that, that controls their whole life, their employment does, that's a lot of power. You have you wield a lot of power there. So in that situation, and of course money, wealth, has its own perks. We all know what money can buy us. It can buy us all kinds of things. But money can't necessarily buy you power. Let me give you an example. Um, there was this lady down at the Section 8 housing department, and I used to go in there to get my Section 8 housing contracts, and she was just on the bottom of the barrel of human being life. I mean, an aniba of a human being. I mean, the way she looked, the way she spoke, her education, uh, everything about her, she was a scumbag person. But, man, she wielded that power. She didn't give you a Section 8 contract. You didn't get one. If she didn't want you, if she wanted to make you wait all day in her waiting room, she could make you wait all day. didn't matter. If you were a billionaire, she could make you wait all day long. She had power, and she loved it. I know she had no money, right? She definitely had no respect. In fact, she had hatred. Everybody who dealt with her hated her. But she had power. So people are searching for these three different characteristics in life. And as they go out and start businesses or want to start businesses or want to get out of their job or they want a good job, they're searching for all three of those out there, but more one than another and or another in most cases. So if a guy's got a good job, he is his job. Think about this for a second. You are your job. That's where you get your respect from. So what do you do? Who are you? I'm a fireman. I'm a rocket scientist. I'm a mother. I'm a stay-at-home mother. I'm a working mother. Right? Everything that you have in life, you are telling people who you are based on where you get your pride from. Where do you get your fulfillment from? And when they ask you who you are, you're not going to go, I'm just a dumb, fat old person that, you know, really, I'm kind of ugly and I'm probably 20 or 30 or 40, 50 pounds overweight, whatever it is, and I'm not really that smart, and I don't have a lot of friends, maybe one or two. Uh, I got a kid. My kid's an idiot, or I got three kids. My kids are really not that good. I got one that's not bad, but, you know, you don't get that. You get, I'm a fireman. I'm a rocket scientist. I'm an engineer. I'm an accountant. I'm a CPA. I'm a salesman. That's what you get. Now, why do they give you that answer? is because of the three things they're looking to fulfill in their life. Number one, money. That is how they fulfill their money. And the better the job sounds, the more you think they make for a living. You equate who they are financially by their job. I'm a CEO. That equates a lot better than I'm a uh, maid, right? So you equate wealth. Second thing is you equate their power. What position do you have? Like a lot of guys will preface that their job is, I'm, I'm not an engineer. I'm vice president. I'm an engineer that's a vice president in charge of marketing and sales or vice president in charge of uh, production or, you know, design, whatever it is. They throw their title in on top of what their job is because that gives them a little more power, right? A little more prestige. And then, of course, their pride and their respect. Uh, comes and really the power comes from being at work. So at work, do you have power over people? 
I mean, you could be a low-level manager. You could be a shift supervisor at Taco Bell and have power over 10 people in life. And they respect you because you dominate what they can do and can't do and so on and so forth. Leastwise in your own mind, right? You're thinking you're that person. So if a person's job gives them all three of the things that people strive for in life, how can they even consider leaving their job? The word retirement connotates the end of something, not the beginning. Retirement connotates, I'm a has-been, I'm washed up, I'm over, I'm dead, I'm tired, I can't do anything, get rid of me, go on. Whereas my retirement concept is I replace my earned income with passive income. I'm still the same person. I still have the same or more income. In fact, I've had more income every year since I retired when I was 34 years old. And I continue to have more every year. I just came back from the CPA. Another year is better than the year before. It just keeps happening. Why does it do that? Because I buy more real estate. In fact, yesterday, uh, I got an offer accepted on another piece of real estate that I'm buying. I'm got another offer out yesterday that I haven't got the answer back from yet. I've got another apartment that I'm looking at right now. Uh, <clears throat> every year, I buy more stuff, and every year that more stuff makes me more money. So when you try to rationalize leaving not only your income, but your point of influence and your respect, your reputation, and your title, especially if you went to college to get a degree to get you that title, it's very, very difficult. So what I'm saying to you is this is a situation where some people, a okay life gets in the way of a good life because they're not willing to give up the current living money to invest in something to make their life better, even though they're living a mediocre, right, a mediocre lifestyle. They're living a life of quiet desperation, but maybe it's better than their brother is, their sister is, or their mother and father did. It's still better than somebody else. So it's okay. That's why I'm not willing to change that to go somewhere better. Somebody else might have this good life where they've got this great job and they make good money and they've got a lot of respect and so on and so forth. They've got lots of all three of the things they want in life, but they don't have everything they want in life. And they're not willing to leave those things that they have to go get something better. Now, I'm going to share something with you that many of you don't don't have the opportunity to fall into to understand. But you get to a level, every one of us gets to a level where you're okay. And the key to becoming more in life is to allow yourself to feel okay and yet still move forward. So I'm at the point where I've got more money than I'll ever live to use. I've got more respect than I actually probably deserve as a human being in life, you know. And I've got power over all kinds of things that I'm in touch with, that I control. So why do I want more? Because I've trained myself to understand that that feeling of complacency is a lie. That if I would have believed it when I was poor, if I would have believed it when I was a fat guy, I never would have became a professional bodybuilder, or not a professional, but a competitive bodybuilder. My daughter, by the way, is a professional bodybuilder. 
I never would have gone out and made the money I've made. I would have been satisfied when I was a millionaire. No way would I have thought about, you know, how do you become a billionaire? What's the next level? How do you get there? I never would have thought about that. I would have been happy with just being a millionaire. And so it's only because I've trained myself to not be satiated, to not be, I'm sorry, to not be satisfied with where I'm at. Now, at the same time, to be happy, and this is imperative, if you're going to be happy, you have to allow yourself to be satiated. You have to go, I got everything I want. I really don't need any more stuff. I don't need to go buy a Ferrari. What would I do with a Ferrari? Park it in the garage, let it sit there. I bought a um, UTV, all-terrain vehicle. I thought I was going to get out and start running all-terrain vehicles. I had a, two or three friends who went and bought motorhomes and are dragging, you know, Jeeps behind them. And, you know, they were going on these off-road things. Like, well, it really looks like fun. I could afford it. Let's go buy one. I bought one. Never used it. In fact, it's for sale. <laughs> so anybody out there, remember this. What gets in the way of a, good, a great life is a good life. We'll be right back with the Del Wamsley Radio Show. We sold one of my wife's properties and actually did a 1031 exchange, and we bought three brand new builds in Fort Worth. Um, so right now, collectively, we have three of her inherited properties and then three properties in Fort Worth that we've done through Lifestyles. And you turn one property into three, tripling your cash flow. Exactly. Yep. Well done. Learn to increase your cash flow. Register for the workshop at lifestylesunlimitedworkshop.com. Welcome back to Del Wamsley Radio Show. Today's the uh, mailbag day, and uh, we're going to the next article here that someone sent me, and this is interesting because it's starting to build up here. Uh, this one says, commercial real estate is headed for a crisis worse than in 2008, according to Morgan Stanley. <sighs> Man, 2008 is when I made all my wealth. A very, I mean, I tripled my net worth in 2008. Uh, it was a massive recession, real estate-wise, and we just didn't believe that was going to happen this time. This is the first time I've seen somebody predict that we were going to have a recession that went that deep in real estate. The article goes on and explains why this author believes that. He talks about the fact that there's $2.9 trillion, get that, not billion, trillion dollars worth of mortgages out there, uh, commercial mortgages, that is, just on apartment complexes. Uh, buildings, and so forth, that need to be refinanced in the next couple of years. Well, if you're a beginner, you don't understand this. Let me explain to you what's happened. If you already have been in this business, you understand what's happening. It's that for the last couple of years, prices have been astronomically high. They've been going up for the last, since 2008, they've been going nothing but up, right? And to make the high prices get higher, to allow the prices to be higher and people still to be able to buy real estate, they had to lower the interest rates. So they lowered the interest rates. Finally, the interest rates got so low, the banks couldn't actually offer interest rates low enough for people to buy stuff. So they started offering them adjustable rate mortgages, which basically said, we're going to let you have one or two years of really low interest. And we're going to give you interest-only payments, which means there's no principal to the payments. So your payment's going to be so low. Even though you're paying way too much for this property, there's going to be the opportunity for you to um, afford it, right? in the short term anyway, until you can, quote unquote, increase its operational income. 
or reduce its operational expenses, which we all know expenses don't go down, they go up. Property taxes have gone up radically in states where there are property taxes because the values of the real estate are what the taxes are based on and asset values have gone up radically, so property taxes have gone up radically. Then you've got insurance has almost, you know, it has doubled recently. And that's because of two things. One, you're insuring a larger asset value. And two, the hurricanes that have hit, repeated hurricanes that have hit over and over again. So the insurance companies are pulling out. There's, you know, there's only a few left and uh, they're not making any money. And so they're charging higher and higher and higher rates to stay in the business. So the assumption that you're going to be able to buy this thing and you're going to be able to make it make more money in the future when the interest rates go back up or when the uh, interest-only payments go away is a faulty assumption in most cases. So what's happened? These deals are all upside down. This you know, $2.9 trillion, some portion of it is upside down, meaning that you can't refinance it. These loans come due, and the way commercial real estate works is you buy a loan for three years, five years, seven years, or 10 years. You pay on it for that period of time, and then you got to pay the loan off, which typically you never pay the loan off. You just refinance to a new loan is what happens. In this case, you can't because now the value of the property is as low or lower than what the mortgage is. And so you can't refinance it. And I, I, I saw a deal yesterday where the person told me their interest rate had jumped up to 17% on their deal. I don't even know how that could be. For the people who interest rates are not going up, it's because they have something called an interest rate cap. And that's where you buy down the fact that the interest rate on the adjustable mortgage can't go above a certain limit. But the cost for those cap buy-downs is going up radically. And so the mortgage companies are forcing people to escrow to buy their next cap buy-down for the next year. Well, when they escrow that money for that cap, there goes all their cash flow. And now the deals are not making any money at all. And this is happening to quite a few people, even a lot of our people, because this is a new phenomenon no one's even knew about. They came up with this thing because this whole banking disaster, and by the way, it is a banking disaster based on bankers doing stupid things to sell loans when prices were too high. If they would have said no, the prices never would have got that high. They couldn't have. Because if you can't get a loan, you can't sell your property for the price you want to get for it. So they were holding the economy up when the government wanted them to hold the economy up to do that kind of stuff. And now the government's trying to take the economy back down again. And so people are getting stuck in the middle of this governmental change, right, because of inflation being bad. And so... It is anticipated that a very large percentage of these deals are going to go out of business. What percentage, we don't know. I don't know. I don't even think the people in the know know, but there's quite a few. We've looked at our portfolios of all of our members, and we see quite a few people that are in a bad situation where the cash flow is gone because they're making the mess grow for these interest rate caps. Um, <clears throat> the loans that are coming due are problematic because there's not enough equity to refinance them. You're going to have to bring money to the table to refinance them, or you're going to have to sell them, and in many cases, you might even be selling them at a loss. So that's the problem this article is talking about. Now, let's go one step further 
and tag another article on. Guy sent me an article yesterday. Basically, here's what it said. Houston, Texas. Dallas investor comes to Houston in 2021 and buys 3,200 units. By 2023, last week, those 3,200 units got foreclosed on. He bought the highest price possible. He got the worst lending possible, adjustable rate interest rates. He's being forced to pay these cap uh, rate hikes to, you know, cap for the interest rate cap, interest rate cap hikes and escrow for them. No cash flow, can't pay his bills, goes out of business. Has a non-recourse note, which means they can't come after him for anything. He just mails the keys back to him, says, I don't want him. Come get him. The mortgage company comes says, okay. Mortgage company takes him, sells one to a friend of theirs, takes the rest of them, sells them to somebody else, or lets them take over the properties, and, you know, they go on down their way. And they devaluate it. They write it off their books. They write it off their books. They take it as a loss. The Fed gives them a tax deduction, and we all pay for it. That's how it works. Um the big boys don't lose money, guys. They really don't. The big boys don't lose money at all. And you got to be aware of that. You just got to be aware that that's the way it works, that the big guys don't lose money. So what does this mean? Well, you've ever heard the story when you're a kid, and since our, our, our society doesn't use the same parables we used to use, where we taught morals to our children. Uh, you might not have heard this one, but when I was a kid, there was a story about someone sticking their finger in a dike, trying to hold the whole dike, you know, which is a dam, from breaking and destroying the city below um, the dam. And in this situation, once you pull your finger out of that dike and that water starts to go through that hole, that hole will deteriorate and that whole dam will come apart. I'm wondering if this is the first finger in the dike to be pulled out, that this is going to start crashing down and cratering down and taking us out. I don't know. We don't know for sure. I do know this. I went into contract yesterday on a real estate deal at the highest cap rate that I've seen, get this, in 10 years, at which the highest cap rate means the lowest price. I paid the lowest price for a property that I have paid in 10 years. Now that's unbelievable, right? That's unbelievable. And the very day that I'm getting this lowest price possible, these people are being foreclosed on. So in my brain, you just got to link these things up. I'm getting great prices. These people are going out of business. More of these deals are going to come along because even people that aren't going out of business are going to see people going out of business go, you know what, this Dell guy, I buy, he's not giving me what I want, but man, if he'll give me something, get me out of this thing because nobody else I can sell to can even get financing because the financing won't work anymore. And so if Dell will come along and buy it, then man, I'm going to sell it to him for whatever price that we can come to, uh, which is going to be a whole lot less than what it's probably even worth. So there you go. This is big, big, big business and big, big, big news for that big business. And it's all right there in front of you. Thinking about whether or not it's going to go through the roof. 
pulling out of the mailbag another uh, email. This one is a two-parter. This gentleman wrote me, first of all, back in January of 23, again last week. And this is one of those emails, guys, that if you know me now for the 20-plus years I've been doing radio, this is very, very personal. I'm not going to use the person's name. I'm going to try to leave out as much of it as I can um, that doesn't identify who the person is somehow for friends or relatives or whatever. But some of it will probably identify them. The reality is that this is not me judging someone. This is a complex set of situations that can only be dealt with at a very, very, very high level of thinking. But the problem was created at a very, very low level of thinking. So let me start from there. It says, Dell, I want to thank you for your inspiration. That will change how I think. There's a starting point. He's starting to think differently. My backstory, I'll be 66 in spring. I work full-time. I love my job. Just celebrated 30 years of service. So his job's everything. He's got that life where, you know, he's got an okay life. He's made it through life. He's 66. He's still working, been at the same job for 30 years. I have five children. Now we know where he gets his pride from. The two older boys, 39 and 42, and three younger kids, 13, 15, and 17. So that looks like there must be two wives in this story somewhere, or at least two women in this story somewhere. And I will not make excuses for all that or where he's at. Uh, So the bottom line is this guy's pride has been making babies. And I remember running into a guy one time, and uh, he said, I said, you have all these different babies with different women. He goes, yeah. Them's my trophies. He said it just like that. Them's my trophies. So you make out of that what you want, but that's exactly how he said it. Them's my trophies. In other words, I was able to go out and get five different women to let me get them impregnated. I'm a proud man because of that. Now, I don't know if that's this guy, but definitely it's two different wives. There's no way the same wife could have kids. There's 39, 40, and then it's 13, 15, 17. But he does like to make kids, that's for sure. So what happens when you have a lot of kids in your life? You're broke. You know, you're poor in most cases. Um, It does stimulate you to work, that's for sure. you got a lot to pay for. But if you're going to be staying with your kids and stay close to your kids, there's a lot of cost to raising kids, right? So he comes back now, or at that time, he wants to know how he can help all these kids. And my answer to him was, completely different than what he thought he was going to get. I said, the first thing I would point out is that you need to start thinking about yourself and not your kids or your grandkids. He's 66 years old. He's still working a full-time job. Why is he contacting me about taking care of his kids and grandkids? He needs to take care of himself. Why this is what they tell you, why should you do it this way? Why? This is what they tell you when you get on an airplane. When the oxygen mask drop, put yours on first before you attempt to help someone else. Start with figuring out how to buy one rental house and add passive income to your life. That was simply what I told him. So you understand what I'm saying here. You've got all this idea. You know, I have this radio show and all these guys are making all these millions. And I want to make all those millions and leave them to my kids and grandkids. Dude. The first thing you need to do is retire. Until you can take care of yourself, giving your money away to other people doesn't make a lot of sense. 
I've never understood that. People tell me, you know, why don't you tithe? You go, well, you know, if you're religious, you want to tithe. I say, okay, well, I'm going to look at it a different way. Instead of giving them $100 each week or each month out of your paycheck or whatever you give them, why don't you go take that money, put it into real estate, make millions of dollars, then turn around and donate them $100,000 or $10,000 a month because you're rich. You see, it's even in the Bible when they talk about the talents. This, the guy, the father went away and left his talents, which, by the way, I think it's money in the Bible. And he said he left his talents, but also is obvious for what you do with your life, with what you have as talent to work with. You have money, you have skill, you have knowledge, whatever to work with. He said he left the talents of these three kids, and one kid buried his talents. One kid uh, just made sure it was safe, that it didn't lose any. And the other kid went out and multiplied them. He came back, took all the talents from the other kids, and gave the kid the multiply. He said, you've wasted your talents. You wasted my talents. You didn't use them. That's what's happening with this guy. He's wasting his talents away. He's wasting his money away, his life away. He's spending it all on all these kids instead of investing it, becoming rich so that all these kids could have a wonderful life. He's not going to be able to get there unless he changes that type of thinking, right? So he then comes back and emails me again. I got to be brief on this. He said, I have an opportunity to get into my first property. My girlfriend also now wants to do this with me. There we go. Now he's with another girlfriend, unless she's the one that had the, the 13, 15, 17. Maybe that's the case. She is in the middle of buying her sister out of her parents' home and another rental house she has managed for her parents. Okay, so now she's buying out some family real estate. She is currently renting out her own house as she moved in to care for her mother and who is, uh, she did that two years ago, and who is in later days of her dementia. During this time for caring for her mother, her father died and passed away and left everything to her, her and her sister. Her sister doesn't want her half of the two houses. And on top of that, her father left her a majority interest in a building in Philippines. Can you give it some help? Well, the first thing I am always tell people to be leery of is watch out getting into business with someone that you're not married to, Right? You can have her do her real estate and you can do your real estate. You shouldn't do yours together because what if you break up? Then how do you split the stuff up without destroying both of your lives? Secondly, if she's getting the real estate from her family and you were to take it over with the education I give you and you go make it worth millions of dollars and, and you know you take it and make that house that they give to you for a low price because the family member doesn't have any idea what the value is. It's all torn up. It's dirty. It's family house and they sell it to the other family member. In other words, one sister sells out her share of the inheritance to the other one. If you ever go and make that worth a million dollars, that family member is going to be mad at you for the rest of your life. So my suggestion, stay away from and avoid family investments. Hope you had a good day and remember this, it's not the money, it's the lifestyle. We'll see you tomorrow. for listening to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Want more of Dell's unconventional wisdom? Go to lifestylesunlimited.com and click the radio tab. Listen to past shows, hear podcasts on demand, and find out how you can change your life today. The Dell Wamsley Radio Show is part of the Lifestyles Unlimited Radio Network. 
The information and opinions you hear on the Del Wamsley Radio Show are those of the host, Del Wamsley, his guests, and his callers, and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of this station, its affiliates, its management, or advertisers. The Del Wamsley Show is for entertainment purposes only. Please consult a professional regarding your personal investment needs. Nothing presented on the Del Wamsley Show constitutes an endorsement, recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or security.